0: school of prayer helped me become more humble as I realized how difficult it was for me to keep a regular discipline.
1: The most challenging part of the school of prayer was giving myself the grace necessary to grow and being patient and allowing
0: the spirit to do his work.
1: The school of prayer helped me to realize that I need to live a contemplative life. and It also helped me in the context of a group make this a reality. The most challenging part of uh, SOP was probably the the pressing together of contemplation um, and social justice. Pressing them close together was uncomfortably helpful. And it's a rigor rooted in my experience or my acceptance as the beloved. Responding to that belovedness with devotion
0: I recommend the School of Prayer to anyone who wants to um, dig deeper and learn more about contemplative prayer practices.
1: My word of wisdom to anyone who decides to do the School of Prayer is be patient and trust the work of the Spirit in you. One word if you choose to do, School of Spirit. Do what you can, not what you can't. Amen. To learn more about our formation schools, the School of Prayer, and our two-year certification in spiritual direction, the School of Contemplative Listening, and our August 4th Family Camp, please visit theinvitationcenter.org. We are currently recruiting for cohorts beginning in the fall of 2021. Hello, this is Josh, and you're listening to The Invitation. I am sitting here across the microphone from my dearly beloved Susanna Childress. Hello, Susanna. Hi. I had said in a previous episode that I wanted to bring her into this conversation. She is a PhD in creative writing faculty member at Hope College and the idea for these podcasts after we have engaged each chapter trying to let the chapter breathe giving some space and so what we want to do in this episode is to model what this might look like for you as you are meeting with one two three four folks try to keep your groups small And uh, that will allow you to have a more intimate discussion. And I have a discussion guide PDF that is on the invitationcenter.org. If you go to the Justice tab, you'll find that resource for you. So the invitation here is to begin with a prayer that I've offered on the discussion guide. Susanna and I are going to work through this prayer with you slowly and carefully, and then we'll have some time for you to get to know her better. If there is anything that we can attend to as the church, as people of faith, when we come to questions of racial injustice, we can come with the help of the Holy Spirit to let the Spirit search us and know us and to reveal any unclean ways to lead us to repentance. One way that our tradition will say this is that the truth will often make you miserable before it sets you free. Another way uh, Frederick Beekner has said this is the gospel is always going to be bad news before it's good news. So these are difficult things to approach as we look at the brokenness of the world that's around us and also the brokenness that is within us. So I invite you to calm yourself as you're able to entertain the presence of God, opening yourself to God's love, God's truth, and to believe that the Holy Spirit does in fact want to help you see yourself so that we present ourselves as living sacrifices and we pray open unto me light for my darkness
0: open unto me courage for my fear
1: open unto me hope for my despair
0: Open unto me peace for my turmoil.
1: Open unto me joy for my sorrow.
0: Open unto me strength for my weakness.
1: Open unto me wisdom for my confession.
0: Open unto me forgiveness for my sins.
1: Open unto me love for my hate.
0: Open unto me thyself for myself.
1: Lord, Lord, open unto me. Amen. So Susanna, when you come to the topic of white supremacy, racism, reparations, as a person of faith, what kinds of things draw you to this? What
0: well, way to start with an easy one? Uh, there's layers of things that that draw me to these topics, and also, I would say, draw is the right word because it it feels like um, a moth to flame um there are things that compel me and then things that you know you you pay attention to them because they're horrifying mm-hmm. and sometimes that's that's the thing within myself that I haven't seen before or the thing that I can recognize the emotional or psychological or spiritual place that I have been and may well still be. Mm-hmm. This, this topic of, of white supremacy feels very personal. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why that is, mm-hmm. except that I think I had to discover it on my own. And, and it, it was, really literature and and moving out of my hometown, home state, moving to other places and sort of seeing for the first time that what I had been told or what I had been taught did not bear out with what I was seeing. So that that cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. really, you know, created friction. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had to start asking some questions. I suppose the, the element of grace is that there was, I was studying literature at that same time. And so, you know, I, I live in Austin, Texas, and I can see the segregation. Like I could just, You look around town, you can see it. You can see it on the University of Texas. So these, you know, just sort of driving around, you know, the first time sort of living on my own. And then studying the words of Gwendolyn Brooks, who I'd been introduced to and totally fell in love with in college, hearing her voice as I walked around Austin. I was hearing The Bean Eaters in my head, and I was hearing We Real Cool, and I was hearing The Life of Lincoln West. Um, These poems that speak to, are spoken from the experience of um, impoverished and oppressed people, Mm -hmm. specifically black people in Chicago. And all of a sudden, I couldn't ignore that um, the way that I thought I understood and the kinds of questions that I had been asking um, needed revisiting. Hmm.
1: It strikes me that there's at least two core ways of going at this question of white supremacy and reparations. One will ultimately be this enormous question of how am I called to be part of the work of repair? That's the subtitle of our book. Before we get to that, most of us have to do the work of repentance Mm -hmm. and we have to be able to get ourselves into a place where reparation seems like an obvious conclusion. Mm. So so, uh, for me, what I want to share in the next few weeks is... The story of being in the prison and how doing prayer practices with these men for six years and then having uh, an active conversation with you and others got me to a place where I'm looking at reparations this book and going, oh, that's obvious. I, of course I want to read that. So what can you tell us, Professor mm-hmm. Childress? Mm, no if, you had a, sure. if you had a college student come to you and say, why? how do I begin to care more about black people? Why do you're doing this thing on reparations? How can I get myself to a place where I'm somewhat on the same page with you?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a a good question. And, um, (laughs) the, (laughs) the impetus for a college student is, um, you know, I'm in a place where I want to learn and, And I hope that many of us are in that place a lot longer than, um, the four years or however long that we're in, you know, higher education. Um, but to someone who wants to care more and wants to learn more, (laughs) which is already an amazing first step Mm -hmm. in, in some ways, um... I would say, story. Mm. One one word, um, and I suppose I can just say the one word because in my classes that's 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 our modus operandi. That's our we pay attention to story because stories make us human, and so if you care about someone else if you want to care about someone else you listen to their stories you seek out their stories you let them tell their stories you um compensate them for their storytelling because it's valuable um and um you know it perhaps feels rigorous to say um only read BIPOC, um, black indigenous and people of color, but that's a really, you know, mm-hmm. college students are used to assignments. So that's what, that's the assignment I'd give. Mm-hmm. And that's the I, the, I don't assign anything that I haven't first tried myself or I'm not in the middle of doing. And um, again, for maybe seven years, I you know I give myself one or two white authors mm-hmm. a year, but and those are often things that I sort of have to read professionally. But everything else that I'm reading and listening to mm-hmm. and ingesting in any way is by a person of color, mm-hmm. um, and prioritizing black and indigenous voices. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge shift for me because. I, I'm not gonna say I didn't resist that a little, um, or I didn't find myself feeling <laughs> like culturally out of my depth or something. i I did. and that's that's part of the decentering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, the first year, it maybe felt
1: mm-hmm.
0: strange <laughs> um, and uncomfortable. But by the second year, I didn't. We didn't want to stop. Yeah. And now I I feel like I can't yeah. go back yeah. to just hearing. And and I should also sort of <laughs> a professor's asterisk asterisk here is that the publishing industry is um, heavily dominated by white voices. Mm. So even that is not foolproof. What what we what we have access to. Um, that's, that's tough. That's another arena, but there are lots and lots and lots of writers and thinkers and, um, artists, Mm -hmm. um, scholars, hybrid, all of those that are, have, have really, um, become essential to my understanding. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. The, um, the very... Kind of conservative evangelical upbringing that you and I share was understanding that what goes in is what comes out. Right. You know, trash in, trash out. So what we're nurturing our minds and our hearts with. Mm. So this was always, you know, the debate on secular music at right. one point. And uh, so this is the same thing when it comes to developing. An awareness of others, mm. of, of expanding myself, of, of loving. I keep coming back to the vocabulary of the disinherited. So um, it's not that I read people of color because I don't like white authors. It's that I have a deficiency yes. in my conscious awareness of the experience of people of color. So I, I then I take a diet to immerse myself into the stories and the poetry and the art. And that's the point of the gift of art is to get us into these beyond just some intellection. Mm. So what I'm asking Susanna to do is to create a list of suggested resources. I have this incredible gift of being able to turn to Susanna whenever and say, Hey, what novel should I read? And last summer, that was uh, Louise Edric, The Roundhouse. Profound book, mm-hmm. wonderful storyteller.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the initial thought might be like, how could I limit myself in that way, mm-hmm. actually? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, it has created a breadth just, um, you know, to to give myself to the imaginations Mm -hmm. and the the storytelling Mm -hmm. of so i mean it is Mm -hmm. my world has exploded
1: Uh, the gift that susanna can offer us is access to some of the contemporary voices we might uh, have gained from reading ralph ellison Tony Morrison even James Baldwin the gift is that there's some particular expressions of these voices that respond to the moment that we're in right now of course the greats i, I read uh, song of solomon tony morrison last summer and that mm. could be very well present today the greats even though it's decades past it still has a present energy and and message So, Susanna will be creating a list on the website for you to access and awesome summer reading opportunities. So the discipline that we're encouraging folks to use when they do get together, and this is something you can practice even on your own, is to read a section and then to come to your discussion identifying two things and then following up with a third, our focus question. So first of all, what from this reading do I feel drawn to? What stirs my faith? What excites me and gives me hope about the gospel in this very difficult situation? And then second of all, what part of this text is frustrating, confusing, that uh, even makes me angry or especially sad? And then the idea is to follow that up with, how then is this helping me put on the consciousness? This is Philippians 2, to put on the consciousness of Jesus and to then humble myself in this journey. So, what we're going to do is read through this prayerfully and carefully and model this for you. We're going to read it and then we're going to respond to it. This is the end of the introduction from Kwan and Thompson, where they are discussing their hopes. What are we up to? What's the point of this book in this journey? As authors, they write. This leads us to our hopes for this work. We honestly don't know what the impact of this project might be. At times, the harm done by white supremacy, the work required to repair it, and the comparative smallness of our own labors seems overwhelming. But if we may be vulnerable, here is what we hope.
0: Our hope for ourselves is that the call to reparations will continue to change us, to shape our imaginations, our loves, and our labors. We hope to become people whose lives are inexorably bound to the vocation of repair. Our hope for our children is that each of you will renounce the beguiling myths that tempt us and instead see the truth about the world. And not only that you will see the truth, but that in seeing it you will give yourselves in your own ways to the work of repairing the world. We know this means that your lives will often be marked by grief, anger, and struggle. We grieve this for you. But this also means that your lives will be marked by the truth and by the faith, hope, and love that true lives require. As you labor to live the truth, remember that you are crowned with light.
1: our hope for the church is that the work of reparations, the work to repair our communities from the ravages of white supremacy will become central to its mission. Our hope is that the language of white supremacy and reparations now so unfamiliar and awkward, will one day become as fixed in the church's imagination and fundamental to its vocation as the language of repentance and reconciliation is today. This is the only way that the church can fully live with integrity and the only path to beholding the joy of redemptive love made flesh in the streets of this world. Our hope for our nation is that we will renounce our willful blindness to our history, confess and give ourselves collectively and collaboratively to the work of repairing what we have done. Until we do this, we will never embody the meaning of our creeds, never escape the secret shame and uneasy conscience that shadows our national identity, never know peace in our cities,
0: Most of all, however, our hopes are for our African-American friends and neighbors. Our hope is that the singular harm wrought by white supremacy, the theft it has visited upon you and those you love, will broadly be seen for what it is. Our hope is that when it is seen, it will be confessed. Our hope is that when it is confessed, it will be renounced. Our hope is that when it is renounced, the world that it made will pass away, and its weight will fall from your shoulders. Our hope is reparation. We labor toward this hope. This work is for you.
1: So the section from this reading that draws me in is this idea that reparations, the vocabulary of white supremacy and reparations, that's so unfamiliar and awkward that it will one day become as fixed in the church's imagination and fundamental to its vocation as the language of repentance and reconciliation is today. That, that is what really has emboldened me to do this whole thing. I know that there's not a huge group of people that want to, to dive into this. But at some place in our culture, we have to put a stake in the ground to, to jam love into the cogwheels of generational uh, oppression and misunderstanding. And so that gives me a lot of hope. But then on the flip side, when I think about this for our African-American friends, that this is for you— I do pray that with excitement, but I still have a lot of foreboding heaviness around those that I know that are currently just too exhausted to talk about this. Mm -hmm. They're broken, that are scared for their families. So just as I want to pray that and hope that that this is a work for them, it just stirs up a lot of heaviness. My own fears for them, Maybe my own fun- over-functioning, and even my lack of faith, and trusting that God can actually, eventually, you know, someday that we could talk more freely with our brothers and sisters of color. So, with the uh, the, the third movement of emptying myself, I'm just really aware here what an enormous project I've brought in on myself with this this journey with the podcast. That on one hand, there's conservative people from my family and and friends that wouldn't even know how to sit down to entertain any of this. And then on the other hand, there might be progressives that don't think I'm doing enough or that we need to do something more tangible. Um, So this is hard work, but I know I'm called to it. And I'm called to it, and I can do that because I believe this is my own doing these podcasts is part of my own spiritual practice. What about you?
0: Um, This phrase here, our hope for ourselves is that the call to reparations and then of this list will continue to shape our imaginations. Um, I'm really drawn to that phrase because I think our imaginations, again, let me say me, my imagination was so stunted and limited and um, mangled. Mm. Um, And the way that (laughs) that recognition of, the work of white supremacy, it's not just unpacking and unshoveling the like the layers of myths and lies and ideas and um, suspicions, but it's also opening up our understanding and our like the uh, magical sense of who our neighbor is Mm. and whose story I can pay attention to now and what, what richness and value that has. So I love that they've used that phrase to shape our imaginations, because that feels like that's something that's been deeply restricted and stunted, um, and can be opened and widened and, um, yeah, made Mm -hmm. more whole Mm -hmm. and healed. Um, so that we can do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that causes me to feel shame and sorrow is this line, we will never embody the meaning of our creeds, never escape the secret shame and uneasy conscience that shadows our national identity, never know peace in our cities. That feels so huge, mm-hmm. which does... It's like the 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 most intimate and the most far-reaching mm-hmm. consequences of not doing this work. Um, it it feels enormous mm-hmm. and personal all at once. Mm-hmm. So and uh, yeah, like like the scope of it. If we mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if we can't embody the meaning of our creeds, well, then how do we bear fruit, right? Mm-hmm. So. So just it moves laterally and existentially and in just all these directions and that feels just so huge. Mm. Um, so, a couple moments here connect in a way that I feel emptied. Um, this hope for our children. Mm. Your lives will be marked by grief, anger, and struggle. Mm. I grieve this for you connects for me to this line later on that the world this has made will pass away and its weight will fall from your shoulders, Mm -hmm. speaking specifically to black friends and neighbors. So recognizing the connection between the grief, anger, and struggle that our children must take on Mm -hmm. so that the world that we know it right now is transformed and the weight falls from, from black people's shoulders. Mm -hmm. I suppose as a parent, Mm -hmm. it makes real for me, the calling to prioritize and integrate this into everything. And the reason that that, is an emptying and a humbling is that like the goals of parenting feel like they could be something else. Mm-hmm. And I might like, I need to, I don't know, sort of do a good flush mm-hmm. on what I believe are the most important things.
1: Yeah. It, the, maybe the most important step for anti-racism is to model a decentered ego. Mm. in our home, around our kids, to continue to cultivate a humility and a patience and a surrender.
0: Whew. That the emptying and the humbling is the act. Yeah.
1: If we can do that with our kids in the day-to-day, then turning to do this in the context of Right. Of racial injustice is just natural. This is who we are. Right. We're people of gentleness and patience, of humility, kindness.
0: Confession and, mm. and renunciation.
1: The whole passage of Philippians 2 is considering others as better than yourself. Yeah. Which was the attitude that was in Jesus. Mm. How to cultivate that kind of deference to the other. So again, coming back to that reactivity that keeps me bound up in racism is that self-protection where I'm, I'm more important right now. I can't be racist. That's impossible. I I love people. Wait a minute. Maybe you, maybe you actually are. (laughs) Because there's a deeper movement of considering others as better than yourself right now and listening Mm -hmm. to this Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. rather than self- protecting. And then that's the same thing with kids. I'm right right now with my son. And he needs to sit down and do what I told him to do. Okay, maybe I can instruct him <laughs> in a different kind of energy. Easily, mm. Easier said than done. Mm, no kidding. So, Susanna, it is really great to be able to share this space with you. Thank you for sitting with me.
0: Thanks. I'm grateful.
1: Amen. So again, it is a gift and an honor to have you on this journey with the invitation. If this episode or if any of the other resources from the invitation have been helpful for you in your spiritual growth, the greatest gift you can offer us is to share the invitation with someone else, invite them into this summer study, let them know about the podcast We are also currently recruiting people for our formation schools. That's the School of Prayer and the School of Contemplative Listening. Both of these formation experiences are at the vital intersection between contemplation and justice. You can find out information about those formation programs at theinvitationcenter.org. During this summer study, we are not soliciting any financial support specifically for the invitation. If you do believe that this ministry is vital and important, one way you can support us is by offering a donation earmarked for Denise Kingdom Greer. And as we come around her to develop her website, 1 Corinthians 13. Project.com. Denise was, of course, the presenter in the orientation episode for this summer series. So until next time, amen.